Hey guys, welcome back. This is Anchors, Freaks, and Dreams, and I'm your host, Matt Purdue. All right, so I'll just give again a little bit of a snapshot about Anchors, Freaks, and Dreams. This is a podcast that's really focusing on lifestyle change. <clears throat> Usually, um, we'll deal with exercise and nutrition, that sort of thing, because that's my um, that's what I do. I'm a personal trainer. And um, that's most of my experience. But um, I have read a lot of books about business and I've been in different types of businesses and, and it kind of applies in, in that segment is too. So this can kind of apply to anything you want it to. Um, but most of my examples will be um, directed towards if you have some type of a physical motivation type of change that you want to make in your life, health or fitness, um, maybe a, an aesthetic change that you want, weight loss, um, leanness, that sort of thing. And um, I've broken it up into, there's three aspects of a successful change, and this is my experience. There's anchors and those are stabilizers in our life, and they just basically make the process easier, more convenient, and bring consistency to uh, to everything that we that we're trying to change, the tasks, if you will. Then there are dreams, and these are the motivators, the things that draw us, um, pull us towards uh, um, the end goal to, to keep the the fire lit, if you will. And then there are dreams, and dreams are really just focused on the 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 meta narrative of our life and how this particular lifestyle change or goal. Um, everything that we need to go through, how it fits into a bigger picture, stuff stuff that is actually transcends us as a person, even our life. And um, a little bit more of a kind of nebulous concept, but um, once once I really start explaining it, then it really it makes sense to to everybody. Today I want to talk about freaks, and freaks is again the motivators in life, and freaks comes from the term freak of nature. Something that I used a lot in my adolescence and in twenties, where we're, uh, my buddies and I we would talk about somebody who had something of a that's a, a special skill, if you will. Um, it's a it was never sent, meant in the term of a pejorative. It was a very positive, and it's somebody that was especially gifted at something, an ability, a skill, their looks, their charisma, anything like that. And so, as somebody that really stands out from everyone else. And the whole concept is that it taps into our natural desire to feel special. As uh, Kermit the Frog sang, um, it's not easy being green because he wanted to stand out. He was lamenting the fact that um, his, his skin color and his, everything was green and it just blended in. And so he would disappear amongst the rest of the, say, the, the forest, the trees, uh, the leaves, everything was green. And uh, it would be nice, he said, to be of a bright color. Now, again, it, it, it goes into, this is for children's song, and it goes in the concept of, you know, seeing your own unique quality and loving yourself. And, and you know, here's the deal. This, is, um, this isn't really about changing something so that what others think of you will change. This is um, something that, you know, you on the inside can feel empowered. I'm not, you know, going to actually judge whatever your goal is. It's, I'm kind of agnostic about it. I just really like the idea of someone being empowered to to bring something 
from a concept into fruition. And and honestly, my experience with uh, people that are trying to change, it has very little to do with other people. I mean, that ship sailed when they were seven. You know, like we get our social context when we're children. And then we carry around pain from our childhood as adults. And so if someone wants to lose weight, um, it's not because they want other people to think differently of them, not as an adult. It just doesn't, doesn't work that way. The, the idea that um, people look at the cover of magazines and it makes them feel worse about themselves is ridiculous. The, and I, I don't have any clients. I've never had a client that said, I want to look like the person on the cover of a magazine. They get it. Like The people on the magazine covers don't even look like that in real life. But what they want is when they look at themselves in the mirror – they're like, you, you've done well. And that actually is real. That's authentic. And that's the whole point of, of the, the, the idea of finding something that's compelling. And, and so we, but on the flip side of that, it, these things are the emotional aspects, the spice of life. Things that are compelling are by nature um, emotional. And they captivate our imagination and consume our idle thoughts. They they kind of take us for a ride, if you will. Um, they're the you know to, speaking of the the, the elephant to the rider, right? The the dessert to the plate, the yin to the yang. Those things they're they're super logical. And if if someone who wants something says this is what I want, and you said why do you want it, it would almost be like. I don't, there's no need to explain it. It's, it's obvious because it's, it's very, it's very deep and it comes not from a logical place. I mean, it's, it's, it's structured in some type of logic, but the point is, is that, um, if I want to be able to, you know, run an ultra marathon, there's the people that want to do that. I don't get it. Like you're not going to be able to explain that to someone else. It's it's personal, and that's the this issue. So what it is is not as important as much as it is that it's compelling and that it's authentic. And so um, I'll put it this way: the um, it's it works like this. If someone handed you a treasure map, what information would you need in order to pursue the treasure? Well. First of all, you need to know if it's authentic. Is the map real? Is the treasure real? Because if it's not, then there's no point. Two, how difficult will this treasure hunt be? Or could it be? What does the map look like? Does it cover a whole continent? Do you have to traverse snow-covered mountains Scorching deserts, right? I mean, are there wild, dangerous beasts? Are there savage headhunting tribes that you may run into? I mean, what what are the risks? What what is the opposition? How difficult? How complex is it? And and finally, what's in the box? What what's what is the treasure? Is it a is it Henry Morgan? He like captured the treasure fleet and took stacks of, of, of Spanish bullion and, and hit it and dug it in the ground and hit it and then left to come back and get it later. But then he was captured and they hung him and nobody ever went back to look for it, right? Is it ancient Incan or Aztec artifacts, priceless in nature? 
Or what if it's just, you know, you know, somebody's family heirloom and some trinkets? Like that's that's really gonna change the motivation. And that really defines whether or not you have an end target that would compel you or drive you towards success. So you're always comparing those things. Um, is it authentic? Does it apply to your life? Like, um, would it work? And do, do I need to, let's say the end goal is something that is, you know, it's pretty compelling, but it's really going to be a lot of work. Okay, here, let me give you an example of something that probably, in my opinion, wouldn't work very good. I want to learn the guitar because I want to, at some point, in front of a group of people, play a really cool piece of music and have them be like, wow, that's amazing. All right, that that sounds like a pretty cool thing. But the, the problem is, in order to pay, play a piece of of music that's amazing to them and so that it sounds really good, crisp and clean, clear, it's going to take me about 10 years of practice. Yeah, no, it's just not that. It's not that awesome. It's not that big of a deal to me, right? So that's that's an example. Um, I think that here's an example. Um, here's a good one. I, and I love this one because it it's like the one of the most well-known Bible stories, uh, you know, David and Goliath. So we think of this as David and Goliath, and there's this, um, a kid, right? A little small kid, and then there's this giant, and the kid goes out, you know, and faces his giants and throws a, you know, slingshot and takes him down. And so it's kind of a story of, of the, um, the, the, the person that is an underdog, it's an underdog story and concept in, in our pop culture. But if you read the whole thing, um, it kind of plays out like this. There's a war and it's the Israelites versus the Philistines and they've drawn battle lines, but the, the battle lines are such that they're on hills. And if you attack into the hill, then you got to crawl over rocks and up cliffs and and you can't, you know, you can't hold your shield up the whole time. So they'll just throw rocks down at you and spears and, and they'll basically, nobody's leaving their battle lines because they don't want to lose their advantage. But every day there's this giant in the Philistines, Goliath, that comes out and says, Hey, look, why all this bloodshed? Let's settle this this way. You send your biggest, baddest boy out here and we'll fight. And and then we'd all, you know, a bunch of us don't have to die in order to settle this dispute. If I win, then you guys will become our slaves. And if I lose, then we'll become your slaves. Let's just agree to that. And so all these guys are looking down and this, I think that he was like almost nine and a half feet tall, massive. And they're like, oh, I don't like this idea, but we don't want to go down there and do battle because we don't want to lose our strategic advantage. All right, so that's the story. That's what's going on. Well, Dave is just a shepherd, and he's the youngest brother of a bunch of other brothers, and they're a part of the army. And he's his dad says, hey, you know, take this, you know, Bree and Chips down to your brothers and come back and tell me how the, the battle's going. And so he leaves and he goes, and he sees this giant out there yelling, taunting them, and 
and he, he overhears somebody say, you know, look at this, man. If somebody goes down there and beats this guy, the king will give great wealth to this man and he'll give him his daughter in marriage and exempt his family from taxes. And, and David's like, oh, huh. And then he asks somebody else, he says, what, what will be done for this man that wins? And they tell him the same thing. And his brother's like, dude, get out of here. And he's like, what? You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out the situation. He asked somebody else. It's like three times, right? And finally he's like, well, I'll go down there and do it. And I think this is an amazing thing because it the, the concept is it's, you know, this underdog and he's overcoming and he's standing up for a nation and what's right. But he's weighing whether or not this risk is worth it because he keeps asking what will be done for this man? What's the treasure? What's compelling about this? Well, it's pretty compelling. Great wealth. Um, you get the daughter in marriage. You'll become royalty and your family will be exempted from taxes. You know, you'll make your your father and your mother's life that much easier. So that is an example of a great goal. Now, obviously, I'm not bringing into context whether or not your life is going to be threatened. But um, the, the, the concept here is that David actually was trying to look at this of what's you know, is this, is this real? Is it authentic? He keeps asking and he's, he's measuring, is this compelling? And, you know, he's like, actually, that's a really, that's a really good deal because, you know, I'm, I've already beaten up a, a lion and a bear and I think, you know, this is just a human. All right. So let me give you an example of two uh, freak of nature goals uh, that, that I've heard and one is bad and one is good. So I gave you the example earlier of the guitar. Well, this is one I remember in my early 20s. This was in the 90s and the stock market was booming. Mutual funds were the big thing. And they were like, don't risk yourself with you know individual stocks because you never know. But if you buy a mutual fund, it's kind of a almost like an index fund. It's a conglomeration of a bunch of stocks mashed together and it's more stable. It's diversified. So it looked like that the stock market had been rising over the last 10 years, 10 to 15% annually on you know, a yearly basis. And so this thing came out that said, you know, if you started when you're 25, $5 a day investing in a mutual fund at 12% annual yield, you'll be um, a millionaire before you retire. And I remember thinking, oh, that is cool. And I'm only 22. I've, I could get a jump start on this. I'll be like even younger. And, um, but as cool as it sounded, it wasn't compelling because I'm, I'm looking at this and they said, they would say, look, you can be 65 and broke, or you can be 65 and a millionaire. Like, isn't it obvious? And I'm like, no, actually both sound bad to me. The, the, the thing that's negative about this is 65, like, there's nothing about 65 that you could add on top of it that would be compelling. And so I don't, there's nothing about being a millionaire in 65 that sounds awesome when you're 22 years old. And so it was just a terrible goal. Now, if you'd said 45, I'd be like, oh, that's decent. But still, I don't know if I would be, I would even put a little effort of $5 a day. But if you said, look, if you do this, you'll be a millionaire by the time you're 30. I'm like, okay, let's talk. Let's sit down. Now, obviously, you know, this you you get into this whole thing of 
well, it's just that's just ridiculous. That's fantasy. That's a Ponzi scheme or whatever. Well, that's why they're powerful. That they actually tap into something that's deep and, and visceral. And that situation, if you're Warren Buffett and you're talking about, yeah, you just need to buy stable companies that have a strong, you know, moat around them and that there's not a lot of risk uh, to your money. And that's what you need to invest in. And you just keep doing that. And that that's awesome. And that would be something that would be obvious, kind of like, you know, you need to eat healthy and um, you need to exercise so that you don't get metabolic syndrome. You need to brush your teeth so you don't lose your teeth, you know, all these sorts of things. You need to learn responsibility when you're young, but these things are just not compelling. And so they may be real, but they're not something that you're going to be able to use in order to motivate you to keep you going towards your end goal. Now, here's a, here's the other one. This is uh, when I was a kid, I already talked about in a previous one about my love for basketball growing up in North Carolina and um, being a fan of all the great UNC Tar Heel um, alumni and they end up being in the pros and that sort of thing. And I uh, thought, I think I was in seventh grade and there was in every magazine that had anything to do with anything sports, there would be some advertisement for increasing your vertical leap. And this, these, this one particular product called strength shoe got really popular and they would say the strength shoe is proven to improve your vertical leap by five to seven inches. And I think I had determined that if I could get seven, eight inches extra on my vertical leap that I could dunk. And I started really thinking about that. And that is a prime example of me being a freak of nature. Now, I wanted to play basketball in high school before, but that didn't seem that big of a deal. But an eighth grader being able to jam, now that was awesome because I could be, that would be something super special that, look, I was from the mountains of North Carolina. Nobody could dunk. There were like, two people in our high school that could dunk. And that's the, that was the thing that what, how many, how many eighth graders from my neck of the woods could dunk? Well, none. And so that was super powerful for me. So I uh, saved up my money and just was so excited about it and got the, got the shoe and it was all, you know, the instructions about what exercises you need to do, how to keep from getting hurt. And the strength shoe, I didn't even explain this, is basically a shoe. It was an athletic shoe. And there was a platform that was like molded into the front so that you're, you were elevated. Um, your heel was elevated off the ground. And, um, and it was supposed to like stretch out your heel cord and strengthen your calf muscles so that you could be more explosive. And um, that right there is an example of uh, a, a great goal. It's like, oh, you know what? They, there's the, they, they've done the research, the studies. You'll be able to increase, increase your vertical leap by this much. Well, that will get me to be able to be – I'll be a dunking machine. And then, therefore, this authentic – or at least it appears that way. And it is also um, something that is valuable. And, you know, for a seventh grader, I, there was nothing more valuable than being able to dunk a basketball in front of a 
you know, raging crowd. There's just nothing better. <laughs> so that is an example of a great freak goal. So in, in just in the, I'll sum up here, compelling, authentic. Those are the two things that you need to have a, if you're going to have a successful, um, visceral, motivating goal. And, you know, the, again, I've mentioned that this is mainly about physical change, but um, this could apply to anything in your life that you need to do something or you want to do something or you've wanted to do something for a long time. Maybe you wanted to write a book or you want to start a business or go back to school. Um, maybe you've been wanting to buy a house and there's just a lot of different things that will, would have to go into it and a lot of ways you'd have to change your life. Find it. Find the end result. Find you on the other end of accomplishment. How will you feel? And if you can daydream about it and it can take you away, like a seventh grader uh, uh, imagining, you know, skying through the air and jamming over some other kid, if it can take you there, then it's compelling and it's worthwhile. All I can say is there's a, there's a character from Napoleon Dynamite. His name's Uncle Rico. This is somebody who got caught in the past. And so that would be like me thinking about being an eighth grader, being an eighth grader now in dunking and constantly going back and daydreaming about that. That right there is a dysfunctional life. Don't be an Uncle Rico. Think to the future. I can't be resentful about the past. I can't be bitter about the past. What is it about the future that I can be motivated, even if I feel like I got shorted or I missed out on a, of an opportunity in the past. That is real because so many, so many times we get stuck lamenting over what we missed out on or what we lost. And uh, that's not only not helpful, it's destructive for the future because we need, we need that focus and that energy to be directed towards something else so that we can then therefore move forward. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Again, this is Anchors, Freaks, and Dreams. This is your host, Matt Perdue. See you on the next one.